right, great to see you, everybody. Great to see everybody here. And how about a hand clap once more time for our students and for Johnny and his team leading us out so well. I got a free T-shirt, so that's pretty cool. Uh, all right, get your Bible out. That's what we do. If you didn't bring one, there's one in the seat in front of you. Open up to Luke chapter 16. The Gospel of Luke chapter 16 is where we're going to be uh, today. Um, you know, when I was in college, I really wanted to work at a bank. I'm not really sure why. I just thought that would be a cool thing to do. Uh, I, in high school, I kind of worked labor jobs and then uh, kind of retail for a little bit. But I thought, I want to be, I want to be in a bank. And so I was getting a business degree. That'd be a great thing to do. And so I went to a couple of banks, interviewed. They said, we don't have a place for you. I went to several more. No, no, no spot open. I, I think I went to about 20 different bank slash savings and loans trying to get somebody to hire me. Finally, a lady said, look, um, look, you got no experience. Only job we have for you available is in the mailroom. I said, I'll take it. So I went to work in the mailroom. That's where you put the little statements together all that kind of deal. And then they said, hey, we've got a job opening in customer service. I'll take it. And so I went over to customer service and did that for a little while. And then they said, well, we've got a spot open on the teller line. I'll take it. And so I went over the teller line. I worked that for a little bit. And then they said, we've got a spot over in one of our branches. I go, I'll take it. And so I went over and worked in the branch for a little bit. And then they said, we have a spot available as a vault teller. And I said, I'll take it. I didn't know what it was, but I'll take, I took it. Now, the vault teller job is pretty much like what you would expect. It's, it's a big vault that's in the basement of the bank that has all the money in it. And the vault teller's job is to go in there and, 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 and fill all the orders for the branches. So you would get money together and you ship it out to all these branches. And then you had to balance the vault. And you'd roll some coin, do some other things in there. So I could play my radio in there and I was just kind of doing my own thing. But... Here's the deal. When you go to balance the vault, um, let me say it this way. When you're balancing like one little drawer as a teller, you might be off 50 cents, your quarter, maybe a dollar, and you're working to try to balance that up. When you're off in the vault, it may be thousands of dollars, right? That, that's a little scary. In fact, you know, the, the, the bank kind of frowns on not balancing the vault, you know, they kind of frown on that. So, so there was a lot of pressure to make sure, man, this thing balances out every single day. Now, when you're handling money, it, balancing is important. You know, if you run a business that you have a balance sheet, the balance is your assets and expenditures and profit. You make sure everything balances. If you have a little checkbook, you know, you're, or you're, or you're, you're balancing your accounts, you're, you're going to go through some reconciliation to do that. But when you talk about living a balanced life, one of the areas that gets imbalanced very quickly is your finances, is your money. In fact, think about it this way. How much stress do you have in your life because of money? How much worry is in your life because of money? How, many, how much anxiety do you deal with afraid you're not going to have enough or afraid you have too much and you don't know what to do with it or somebody's stealing from you? Money creates a tremendous amount of stress. I mean, one of the top three reasons people divorce is usually because of financial problems. And so how do we balance all these things, particularly our finances in our life? We're in a series called Balance, and we've been looking at what a balanced life looks like. And we came up with a phrase that we've been repeating every week, a balanced life is a Christ-centered life. Why don't you say that out loud with me, okay? Nice and strong for someone to hear next to you. A balanced life is a, is a Christ-centered life. 
And so we took that phrase and we dropped it into different areas of our lives. So we looked at our work and we looked at our spiritual life and we looked at our friendships. And so today we're looking at our finances. How does a balanced life, what does that look like for Christ to be in the center of my financial life, of my money? All right. And so let me just hit the pause button and say, you're probably thinking of this one. Oh, great. This is a money talk. All right. I, I like money talks like I like a root canal. All right. I, I hate money talks. Why are you doing this? Let me tell you why I'm not talking about money today. This is the reasons why I'm not talking about it. I'm not talking about it because we're under budget and we need you to pony up a little bit more. We are actually doing very well financially as a church because of your regular generosity. So thank you for that. We're not a crisis. We're not going into a capital campaign. So that's not why. In fact, I choose times to teach about it when we're not asking for it. All right. Because I want you to understand it. Okay. Number two reason is because I'm looking for a raise. I'm not looking for a raise. I'm fine just the way I am. Not, there's no ulterior motive here. Okay. Uh, I, I am not doing this to try to get you to sow a seed of faith so that you'll get a Royce Royce, all right, because of some prosperity weird gospel thing going on. That's not what we, t- we teach here, okay? Why am I talking about it? Here, here, let me tell you why. Because Jesus talked about it. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you are here to know and follow Jesus, then you need to know what he thinks about the thing you think about all the time. And what is, how does he see our finances. So that's why we're going to dig into a parable. We're going to dig into a story that's one of the most controversial stories in the whole Bible. Probably the one that if people said, ah, you know, this is a little edgy, they would probably drop this parable into it. People still today question what it's really about, but you're going to find that Jesus is telling this story to set us up for a principle about our finances. Okay. So let's look at it. Luke 16, diving into God's word here. Everybody got an open Bible, open heart, Uh, to receive from God's word. Now he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. And so he called the manager in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your management because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do since uh, my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg, I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each one of the master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take, that, take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write 50. Next, he said to another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he told him, and write 80. And the master, here's the tricky part, the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. Okay? So, this is the reading of God's word. Now, this storyline is pretty simple storyline. There's a really rich guy, all right? This is a Bill Gates kind of rich guy. This is a uh, this is a Bezo kind of rich guy. He's so rich that he can't manage all of his money. He's got all these investments. He's got all these business opportunities. He certainly can't manage it all. So he hires a money manager, all right? But the money manager is ripping him off. The money manager is on the take. In fact, the word here used here for he squandered in uh, verse 1 uh, is the word there that's same used for the, uh, for the prodigal son who took his dad's money and squandered it. He spent it on himself. 
And so here's this money manager working for this rich guy and he's taking money and he's living it, taking it for himself. He's squandering the money, okay? Now, this is not an ancient problem. This is a very current problem. In fact, uh, there are a lot of rich people that get ripped off all the time. In fact, I uh, read an article this week about celebrities that have been ripped off by their money managers. Uh, Sting, the uh, rock star Sting, got stung by his money manager to the tune of about $9.8 million ripped off that he got awarded back from the courts. Rihanna uh, also uh, got ripped off by her money managers. In fact, took him to court and got a $10 million settlement because of that. Uh, Nicholas Cage claimed that his money managers ripped him off of $20 million, even though he was unable to recoup some of that in a court settlement. Uh, Ricky Williams, a Heisman Trophy winner, along with other guys like Dennis Rodman and others, were ripped off by the same woman who defrauded them by winning their trust and then spending their money. So this is, this is a current problem. This guy gets called in because he's doing what those people did. He, he's, he's stealing from his master. And so he's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? My master's put me on two weeks notice. I, I, I can't dig. I can't beg. How am I going to pay for my, my vanilla latte from Starbucks every day? How am I going to do that? And so he goes, ah, I got it. I got it. I'm going to call in all the people that owe my master money. I'm going to cut them deals. So how much you owe? A hundred grand. Okay, give me 50 grand and we'll call it good. How much you owe? A hundred grand. Give me 80 and we'll call it good. And he just starts going through his files, cutting deals with all these guys. Why? Because he knows that if I cut you a deal, then when I ultimately get fired, um, you're going to owe me. I'm going to come knocking on your door and say, hey man, remember how I saved you that money? Time for payback. You're going to have to take care of me now. And so He's cutting all these deals. Well, the big boss finds out about it. And this is a shocker part of the story. The big boss finds out about it and he actually goes, huh, that's pretty smart. <laughs> pretty smart. I mean, I got to give it to him. I mean, he's crook, but it's pretty smart, man. He actually used what he had to prepare for the day when he wouldn't have anything. Now get this, the boss didn't praise him because he was shady. He praised him because he was, he was uh, shrewd. Okay, he was smart. He thought ahead. Now, Jesus is taking this story and he's getting people's attention. All right. In fact, when people heard this story the first time, they were like, what? You know, what, what do you mean? He's praising him. I mean, he's ripping him off. How can he? I'm sure they're talking among themselves while they're hearing the story for the first time. But Jesus is setting the hook to get their attention to really teach them something about money. Did you know that Jesus talked about money a lot? Jesus talked about money more than faith and prayer combined. He talked about money more than uh, heaven and hell combined. Why did Jesus talk about money so much? In fact, about a third of the parables all have to do with money. A third of them. If I preached about money as much as Jesus preached about money, about every third sermon would be about money. You're welcome. So, so why did he do that? Because here's a principle that I want you to understand that I think Jesus is driving home. All right, I want you to write this down. We're gonna put it on the screen. Your perspective on money reveals your perspective about life. What you think about money really tells me a lot about what you think about God, what you think about your time here on this earth, what you think about eternity, what you think is most important. 
And Jesus understood that. So that's why he hammered on this topic over and over and over. Your perspective on money reveals your perspective on life. Your perspective on money reveals your perspective on life. And so now Jesus has got their attention. He's told this story. They're like, what? Now he's going to teach them something out of this story. So let's pick up in the middle way through verse eight. All right, you with me? Look down at verse eight, halfway through, pick up right there. This is where Jesus starts to teach the meaning of the story. For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. For I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? If you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There it is. All right, so Jesus is trying to get our attention and he's trying to help change our perspective on money. The fact of the matter is, a lot of how we think about money is completely opposite of how God thinks about money. So we need, a, we need to change our mindset when it comes to money, all right? And Jesus is using this story to change some things. So let me give you a couple of things we need to change our mindset on. Why don't you write this down? And I don't care if you're in uh, elementary, middle school, all the way through, you're going to be dealing with money your whole life, career, your whole life. We need to get locked in on how Jesus sees it. Okay, so here's the first thing. You've heard it said it's your money, right? Well, it's my money. I earned it. It's in my account. I, I worked for it. I got it. But actually, what Jesus said is God owns it all. It's actually not your money. It's actually God's money. In fact, this is kind of the premise of the story, right? The premise of the story is there's this really rich guy. He owns everything. There's this manager that manages the rich guy's wealth. And he's accountable to the rich guy for what he does with it. And that's really how God sees our money, that God owns all of it and we are managers. You don't own it. God owns it. You, are, you have been entrusted with it to manage it and to give an account to God for it. Now, some of you, God has given a lot, which, by the way, would make me, you know, really think seriously about how I leverage this because I'm, I'm managing a lot. I'm accountable for a lot. Some of you, maybe medium, some not so much. The amount really doesn't matter. The issue is what have you done with it and that you were accountable to it. Just look back, look back at verse um, uh, 10, one more time. Whoever is faithful in little will be faithful in much. Whoever is unrighteous in little will be unrighteous in much. So if you've not been faithful in worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? You get that point? You're accountable for what God has entrusted in your hands. You are a, not an owner, you're a manager. And the problem comes when managers start to think that they're owners. That's when the problem comes. If I'm working in the vault at the bank, I'm just here accountable, responsible for taking care of this money. But I start to think, well, this is really my money anyway. I actually earned it. I deserve it. They won't miss this 100. They won't miss this 50. They won't miss a couple of these 20s. I start putting them in my pocket. I would be in jail. 
That's called stealing, right? When you take something that doesn't belong to you. That's what happened to these celebrity money managers. They, they thought somehow they rationalized in their mind that, that that was their money when it wasn't. And we can rationalize a lot of things. You know what rationalize is? Rational lies. And we can tell ourselves rational lies that, you know what, it's okay, this is my money. When God says, no, 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 it's not, it belongs to me. And you're probably sitting there with your arms crossed thinking, well, okay, preacher man, can you back that up with Bible? Uh, yes, I can back this up with Bible. Quickly, write these things down. I'm not going to repeat them, all right? Proverbs 24.1 says this, the earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants belong to the Lord. That pretty much sums it all, right? Everything in it belongs to the Lord. Haggai 2 verse 8, God says, silver and gold belong to me. It's mine. I love this one. Deuteronomy 8, 18. Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. You may say, well, it's my money. No, no, wait. God's the one that gave you the mindset God is the one that gave you the physical capabilities. God's the one that opened up that door for that job. God's the one that brought that client in your life. God's the one that gave you that position in that company. God's the one that did it. And by the way, all of it could be gone like that. One car accident and your wealth could disappear. One uh, bad diagnosis at the doctor and poof, it's gone, right? So God's the one that gives it to you and he's entrusted it to you. It belongs to him, but we are responsible to manage it well, we're responsible. That's the first thing we got to change. It's not your money. It belongs to God. The second thing Jesus is driving home here about what needs to change, and that is that you've heard people talk about you need to invest your money wisely here and now, right? You got to invest for retirement. Got to invest for the future. Got to put the nest egg up for your kids. But Jesus is saying you need to invest your money to impact eternity, to impact eternity, look at verse, look at verse eight again. The uh, middle of verse eight, children of this age are more shrewd than children of light dealing with their own people. For I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth. So when it fails, they may welcome you to eternal dwellings. Circle worldly wealth and then circle eternal dwellings. There's a, there's a relationship between the two. He's saying that you need to realize that it's not always about saving for uh, retirement. It's not always about saving for posterity. It's about leveraging what you have now for the future. This is really what happened with this, with this money manager, right? The money manager gets put on two weeks notice, all right? You're going to be fired. So he goes back to his cubicle. What am I going to do? And so he starts to come up with this plan. I can leverage what I've got now so that when I'm out of a job, somebody will take me in. And here's what he, Jesus is taking that and he's extrapolating it to an eternal perspective, which great rabbis do. He said, in the same way, we need to take our, the wealth that God has entrusted in our hands and leverage it into some way that impacts eternity. The fact of the matter is we're all on two weeks notice. We're on two weeks notice. We, we are here only for a very short period of time. Your life is shorter than you think it's gonna be. Guaranteed. Even if you live to be an old person, you will it will still have gone by like that. And so what are you doing now 
to prepare for eternity. Now, let me tell you what he's not saying. He is not saying that you use your money to buy heaven. He's not saying that. Only Christ has bought our salvation, right? That's a great place for an amen. Amen? Christ did it on the cross. By his own blood, he purchased salvation for us when we place our trust in him. However, we can use our worldly wealth to impact eternity. We can make friends with our worldly wealth that moves them toward heaven. So what does that look like? What does that look like for us to do that? Let me give you a couple of practical things, all right? I'm trying to get practical here with you. First thing you can do is one way you can impact eternity with your wealth is when you give through your local church. Now, I would say this is why we encourage you to give all the time. Notice I didn't say give to your local church. I said you give through your local church. Because as you give to the local church, then that money goes straight back out into ministry right here. And all New Testament giving was giving through the local church. Every single one of the giving was giving through the local church. And so when you give, what happens is you show up and the lights come on here and, and kids right over there start to learn about Jesus. And many of them hear about Christ for the very first time. And what you, because you give, we had teenagers that got to go on one weekend, which was pretty cool. And they got to hear about what Christ is doing in their life and got to serve the poor and got to be involved. And some lives were changed for eternity because you gave, you gave, you're a part of that. You get reward for that. God acknowledges your faithful giving and all that has happened because you give adults get connected. They get discipled. They're, they're launched out into their workplace. They're launched out around the world. Did you know last year we had over 500 people indicate that they prayed to receive Christ through the ministry of this church? Isn't that incredible? 500 people. Now let me tell you, that's, that's eternal destinies changing and that's because you gave. You gave. I think when we get to heaven, we're gonna be astonished at what we get credit for. You know, I was just, I was just tithing, I was just giving and I didn't realize that how God was taking that and using it. Listen, so one of the ways that we encourage you as followers of Jesus, just give through your local church because as you do that, you're a community and God is using it in a powerful, powerful, powerful way. A second thing is you can give by giving missionally. In other words, that you take the resource you have and you use it, leverage it for, for advancing the kingdom overseas. Um, one of the ways that we do that, some, some of you do this every year and I'm always so thankful for that is that you'll say, hey, pastor, we decided that this year for our vacation, we're not going to Cabo again. We're not going on that cruise again. We're not going to Destin again. This year, what we're going to do is we're going to go to Montreal and we're going to take our whole family. We're going to go and help our church plant there. Or we're going to go with the students to Madrid and we're going to really help that. Or we're going to go uh, help a group. Of, we're going to go be a part of a construction crew down in Lusaka to build a church building there that's going to service that community. We're going to leverage our vacation time and our vacation dollars to do something overseas that really advances the kingdom of God. When you do that, God blesses that. When you give that way, you are advancing God's kingdom. I've seen some of you guys give up your vacations and stand on a flatbed trailer in a, in, a, in a vacant lot in Africa and preach the gospel like Billy Graham and see people come to faith in Christ. That's making a difference for eternity. And there will be lives in heaven because you chose to give up a vacation and to go on mission instead. Doing it on mission is a great way 
to leverage for eternity, to invest in eternity. Here's one more thing. Let me give you one more. And that is to give to the needy in the name of Jesus. Give to the needy in the name of Jesus. I think when our students, when they went to hang out with the homeless and they picked up trash and, and they fed, fed them and they prayed with them and they put the uh, sanitary kits together and um, things like that and they began to really just minister to their needs and pray with them, that was done in the name of Jesus. And Jesus rewards that. That is seen as eternal investments, eternal rewards. That matters to God. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to have families get together. They're going to be little kids, you know, six, seven, eight years old, getting around. They're going to put this goofy little hairnet thing on, and they're going to put rice packets together. They're going to make meals for children in Lusaka, and that's going to get shipped to our church planter that's then going to distribute that through the schools and sharing the gospel with those families. And guess what? That little child has made an internal investment. That pleases God. That, that counts toward heaven. That's leveraging what you have. I have a friend of mine, if they were close to a single mom and the single mom's car died and she was distraught. They had two cars. And as they prayed for her, God said, well, I gave you two cars. You can do with one. And so they gave the car to that single mom. Said, hey, you need this. And for a year, they just made it work in their family with one car and it was inconvenient at best, but they took them a year to save up to buy a second car. But, but they knew that as they gave, this pleased Jesus because they did it in the name of Jesus. So let me ask you something. Yeah, you're, you're really calculating your savings for retirement. You're really thinking about how you save your money, but are you thinking about how you invest your money now for eternal things? That is not money spent that is money invested. That is money that brings a great eternal reward. So Jesus said, don't just be thinking about that. Think about eternity. The last thing that we need to change, God owns it, no, not you. Don't just invest now, invest for eternity. Here's the last thing. You've heard it said that God wants your money. God doesn't need your money, right? I mean, he owns everything anyway. But you've heard it say, God wants your money. Not so. Jesus said, God wants all of you. He wants all of you. He wants all of you. Look at, look at verse 13. No servant can serve two masters since he will hate one and love the other. He will devote to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's the deal. Listen to me. Everybody look up here. You are going to have God and money in your life. You can't escape either one, right? Unless you go live on an island somewhere all alone, you're gonna have to deal with God and money in your life. The question is, which one is going to be primary and which one is gonna be secondary? Which one is gonna be the center of your life around which everything revolves and which one is going to be peripheral? And that's the decision you need to make. William Borden was born into the Borden uh, dynasty. Borden Milk, uh, just there were multi-million dollars, millionaires in, uh, in the 20s. Borden um, 
In fact, they were so rich that his parents sent him on a trip around the world for his high school graduation, which back then that was like boat rides and it was a long, long experience. And so uh, on his trip, he came, he came face to face with hurting, suffering people that had no hope and had no gospel. And so when he got back home, he was so moved and changed by this that he told his parents that he wanted to be a missionary to bring light and hope to the people in the, of the nations. And of course, he got immediate pushback from that from family and friends and said, look, you're going to waste your life just going to be a missionary, man. You, you're set up to inherit all of this money. Don't, don't waste it. But he was determined in his mind and he got the flyleaf of his Bible and he wrote on the inside of it. He wrote these words, no reserves, no reserves. I'm not going to hold on to my reserves. He went from there to Yale and of course, excelled in so many different ways, excelled academically, became president, leader of multiple student organizations. Uh, but he also started a Bible study there and, and just his passion for God, his love for God, his love for God's word became infectious and he began to gather people around him to study God's word. And of course, by the time he got to be a senior in, in, at Yale, uh, there were 1,300 people in Bible study because of in, his influence. I mean, a massive influence. He would pick out the hardest guy to convert on campus and he would go after him and tell him about Jesus, how much God loved him and what Christ did for him. He would be known to go out at night in the streets and, and to share the gospel with those sitting on the gutters, the drunks and the homeless and the poor and, and to try to minister to them in Jesus' name. There was something about him that was so radically different from his peers. In fact, one of his friends said this, he said, uh, quote, he had real iron in him. And I always thought he was of the stuff martyrs were made of. When he graduated from Yale, he had all kinds of offers to go with great jobs. But he turned them down to go to China to serve as a missionary. In fact, this made headlines that people couldn't believe this missionary. I mean, this multimillionaire would leave to go to the mission field. He took his Bible, opened up the flyleaf, and added two more words, no retreat, no retreat. He left the United States and sailed to Egypt for language training. And while he was there in language training at the age of 25 years old, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died. And when the word got back to the States that William Borden, this millionaire that had left everything to serve Jesus, had died so quickly he never even got to China. I mean, just a wave of grief swept over everyone that heard. I mean, the ship that brought his body home was grieving. His family was grieving. As they went through his belongings, they found his Bible where he had written those words in the flyleaf. But they noticed that he added two more words just before he died. And these were the words, no regrets. Let me ask you, when you come to the end of your life, can you say, I lived it with no regret? I didn't hold anything back. You know, I don't think when we stand before Jesus, we're ever going to say, man, I wish I hadn't been so generous. 
I wish I'd have kept more for myself. I don't think we're ever going to say that. But I think we may have a twinge of regret saying, you know, I could have done more. Now that I see what's at stake, now that I see how eternity is so real, I could have done more. Listen, God owns everything. But he's entrusted what you have in your hands. It belongs to him. Leverage it for eternity. Leverage, serve God. Put him in the center of your life and let money have its rightful place in serving him. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. You can live this life with no regrets, but it requires that you know Jesus. And I want you to understand with crystal clarity what the Bible says about you. That, that you and I have sinned against God. We have gone our own way. We have lost our way and we are headed toward divine judgment because of our sin and our selfish choices. We have not glorified God. We have not lived according to his, his ways. We have not honored him. We have lived for ourselves and judgment is over us. But God saw that and in his great love for you, and his great compassion for you, he sent his only son. And Jesus came born in a manger. And he walked a perfect life. And he pointed us to the Father and he showed us how to live without regrets. And then he went to the cross at Calvary. And on the cross, all of our sin was put on the back of Jesus. And he suffered and he died in your place. Your sin, your rebellion was put on the back of Jesus. And as he was brutalized and nailed to that cross, he did it for you because he loves you to redeem you, to save you. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again from the tomb alive, showing himself to hundreds of people. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's coming again. And he makes an offer to you that if anyone will turn to him, if anyone will cry out to him, he will forgive you of your sin. He will give you his righteousness. He'll write your name in his book of life. That he'll use you here for his cause. And he'll take you with him to heaven when he comes. Do you know him? Has there been a moment in time when you said yes to Jesus? Yes, I need forgiveness. Yes, I want to I live for you. Do you know for sure that you've given your life to Christ? And if not, if you're like, you know, I believe in God. I, I try to go to church. But I don't know for sure, Craig, if I died today, if I would be in heaven, then you can know right now. The scripture says these things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can receive Christ by faith. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. In just a minute, I'm going to pray a simple prayer of faith, asking Christ to come into, our, into your life. And if you need that, then everybody's head is bowed, nobody looking around. I want you to just lift up your hand and let me know, Pastor, I just need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need Christ in my life. And I will see that hand and I will pray for you. I'm going to call you out in any way. But you raising your hand says, I need Jesus. This is my moment. This is my time. So right now, 
On the count of three, if you need Christ, just lift your hand. One, two, three. Right now, just lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, thank you. Anybody else, lift up your hand. I need Christ in my life. I need to be right with God. I don't want to wait any longer. All right, thank you. Anybody else? All right. Okay, anybody else? Last opportunity right now. Lift up your hand. Pastor, I just need Jesus in my life. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you. All right, put your hand down. Now listen, if you lift up your hand, just pray the simple prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I know that I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. And I believe that you died for my sin and you rose again. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash me clean on the inside. Today I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. I want to follow you with no regrets. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your unfailing love for us. Thank you that you have entrusted things in our hands. Thank you that we can truly impact eternity with the way we live. Lord, we want to serve you, not things. We want to love you, not money. We want to be devoted to you, not to our careers. So Lord, help us to live this one life we have to the full out of gratitude for all that you've done for us. Lord, use us this week as we go from this place to be light and salt where we are, to point people to you, Jesus. We pray this in your name.